Hello and welcome. This is the Filmmakers Podcast. What were you thinking? It's a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How you can get them made, how you can make them, and how you try not to fuck it up. In our very humble opinion, today we're talking with Nathan Von Minden. Um, He is a director and a writer who made his feature film, The Challenge Disaster, by cold calling. Yep, that's right. He cold called around to get the money. He raised the money that way and he cold called around to get distribution. We also talk about uh, making a business pack, having a solid business plan, asking people for advice is so important and creating websites and how directing is a reward after all the prep that you should do. Um, Find out about how he did that and listen to this extraordinary story with Nathan Van Minden coming up. I'm Giles Alderson. I'm the director of The Dare, of which the trailer is ready. Yes, that's right. Uh, The trailer is ready for The Dare. I don't know when it's going to be launched on the public. Though, saying that I did play it at the Make Your Film event, the first Make Your Film event, I did play it to over 100 people who turned up to that event, to the first one that me and Dom ran, and um, it seemed to go down really well. Um... So, yeah, so the trailer's ready soon. Um, you'll get to see that when we've got some release dates and what's going on. But we've got to finish off the uh, the alternate ending, which has now been signed off. The cut has. So now we've got to do the, the grade, which won't take long because it's matching from what we've done before. But the sound mix and the score will um, because it's getting those people back into the studio and doing that. So mm, bear with us. It's coming. though. It's coming. Finally. Thankfully, it is coming. Um, so yes, good news on that. Um, and also a serial killer's guide to life that I produced. We had our industry screenings at the end of last year and we've got some good news soon. I can't tell you yet, but we have some good news soon. So that's really exciting. And also cassette. I just watched, um, one of the latest versions, which is really close to being picture locked. I'm very pleased with it. This is the found footage horror film from Marcus Harbin and produced by podcast pictures, Tracy and Steve. And it's really good really pleasing so lots of news to tell you i also have some news of my own i have been asked to direct uh king arthur or a version of king arthur Uh, the name at the moment is called knights of the round table Uh, i've been asked to do that from picture perfect and signature entertainment so i am delighted to tell you i'll be directing that in april What's going to happen to the podcast during that time? Because, as you all know, directing a feature film is ridiculously hard. Um, CJ said he'd do it. So that's wonderful. He can edit and do the intro and everything. So I'm looking forward to that in April. Um, so, yeah, we're off to shoot that in Wales. I'm off this week to do a recce, recce, um, recce with Lucinda and Jeet, the producers. And I can't wait. Can't wait. It's starting to cast now. Very exciting indeed. Uh, right. Enough about me. Let's talk, let's talk more about me. The, the Make Your Film event uh, last week was an incredible success. Um, thank you so much for those who came down. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it was mind-blowing, so I'm really pleased. We should be putting that podcast out. We're doing a one-off special to show you who couldn't get down what happened at the Make Your Film event because there was so much good talk there um, and inspiration for indie filmmakers and how you can go about making your film from the brilliant guests that were there. So thank you for those that came down. The next one is March the 5th. 
So get down for that. Um, uh, tickets are available, and they're in the show notes. Early bird tickets are available. Speaking of which, I am doing the webinar on the 13th, which is literally a week and a bit away. 13th of Feb. It's going to be brilliant. Very in-depth about how you can make your indie films. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give away a lot of secrets. um, And I'm really looking forward to you joining us. We've got quite a few people already joining. Uh, It's going to be really good. I'm going to talk about from script to screen, how you actually can do that physically, how you can get it to the right people who you should avoid, who you shouldn't, how you can make that happen. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited. That's the webinar, February the 13th. Book your tickets. <laughs> Book your tickets. I will see you there. Uh, you don't want to miss out. It's going to be really cool. Me and Sean Langton are doing that. February 13th, 6.30pm UK time. So it doesn't matter if you're not in the UK. It can be Australia. Big up to Australian fans. America, massive big up to our US fans. Not as, you know, just as big as... The Australian fans don't think it's any bigger. We love you all. Um, we know there's a lot of you in America listening to this, so props to you. Thank you. Or whichever wonderful country you are from, if you want to join me, please do. Link is in the show notes. Okay, shout-outs this week to our lovely and wonderful podcast family. Uh, thank you all for sharing, retweeting, and reposting, and putting up links yourself, and putting up posts. Thank you. I love it. Do more of it. Please share and like this podcast as much as possible. Get the word out there um, that it helps indie filmmakers, or we try to. That's the aim anyway. So, yes, we're on Podbean. Click on that one. I know a lot of you are still listening on SoundCloud. I've switched everything over to Podbean and even forgot to put it up uh, last week for half the week um, because there's so much to do at the moment, as you can imagine. So do go over to Podbean, subscribe there. It's free. Uh, and listen from that application why not do it you can also find us on the podfix network as well loads of other cool podcasts on there for you okay shout outs to uh, kate milner evans brad starks which is kane 7 on twitter and Mateus maldonado he came to the make your film event he seeked me out afterwards put me to one side and said you've inspired me to write a script and write my feature film now from listening to your podcasts and I'm very excited to move it forward. And um, would I have a look at it? And that's of course I would. What a lovely guy. Shout out to you, Matthias. Congratulations to you. I'm really pleased and proud of you. And I can't wait to see what you're up to. Obviously, send me the treatment. It's difficult to read a full script. Um, ben Highland, Sarah Day, uh, James G. Nunn, shout out to you. Thank you. Uh, Paul McNulty and uh, Michael Beddows. Again, thank you for re shouting out the shout out from last week top man i hope everything went well from the screening of the sequence films congratulations to you and a huge big shout out to pete from green lit which is um a brand new crowdfunding platform um specially designed for filmmakers that's it no one else is allowed on there but filmmakers he's doing talks about the best ways to do your crowdfunder and he's doing one tomorrow night wednesday the 6th in london if you want to do that link is in the show notes uh, i've got 50 percent off and it's cheap as chips anyway it's like it's under a tenner it's nothing and it's fantastic pete is amazing if you're doing a crowdfunder or you're thinking of doing another one or you think you might do one in the future go down to this course and check out greenlit.com cool shout out to you Pete thanks buddy okay and final one before we get to the podcast with Nathan it is the rain dance shout out this week it's to the actors to the actors listening because our friends at rain dance are offering you a chance to experience what it's like 
to be on a professional film set with their Saturday Screen Acting School Masterclass. Um, it's a brand new course and it's designed to bring actors and non-actors up to speed with the skills and techniques needed to successfully work as a screen actor. So if that's what's something you want to do, get on this course because we can give you a 30% discount. It's that exclusive Filmmakers Podcast discount, RD Podcast 20. The link is in the show notes. All right, let's get to it. This week's podcast with the fantastic Nathan Von Minden. Enjoy. It is our absolute delight to welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, Nathan Von Minden. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Pretty good, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored. Oh, it's our absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Your film has literally just come out, The Challenge Disaster, and you are sort of on the wave at the moment of it, of the buzz of it all. How's that feeling right now? What's going through your mind? You know, we've been working on this film for a couple years now, and... It's exciting for people to finally see it. You know, it's sat in my computer in ones and zeros. And now that people get to watch it uh, and experience it, it's it's pretty thrilling. And the fact that you like there's a sense of completion on the you know production side of it is really nice, too. Yeah, it must be. And to get cinema release as well. Right. I oh, mean, yeah. That's that's it's really great. great. And it must be amazing to see it on the big screen. That just always feels better, doesn't it? Well, it's a little nerve wracking because seeing it in a movie theater on the big screen is a very naked experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it hides no flaws. That's very true. <laughs> Suddenly you see all this on a massive screen. You go, oh, my God, I can see something there. Boom, shadow there or this, that and the other. And you can't see it on a smaller screen sometimes. Oh, yeah. You can read serial numbers. So <laughs> you're that sharp that in focus yeah absolutely well let's let's jump back we're going to talk about the challenge disaster obviously but let's talk about your beginning let's jump right the way back as to why you wanted to become a filmmaker and how you ended up getting your film in cinemas and getting a release uh which you uh, privately which you got investment and private funding yourself and raised it all so let's jump back how why why become a filmmaker what was it was it something at school what was your what was your journey you know, I always grew up as <clears throat> loving both sides of the equation, the logistical, you know, science, math of it all, and then the creative side of it. So I, I grew up an artist and I grew up, a, you know, loving science and, and all the way up until college where I got a degree in aerospace engineering. Wow. And I was an engineer for a little bit and I did not do well with it because it, it felt like it was only scratching one itch and I had two itches. And Film is something I've always loved. I think it's one of the hardest art forms uh, to be decent at. Uh, and it's so expensive, time costly. Uh, everything about it is just a challenge that I love. And, and you have to be, you have to exercise leadership, good thought, good writing, good money management, all that stuff. And so uh, it feels like a massive puzzle that uh, I felt drawn to. It's hard to describe like it's not much of a. I'm like a moth to the the flame. <laughs> <More than me. laughs> Absolutely, I, yeah, I, I feel the same way. You're sort of like you're just drawn to that world. And I remember watching, you know, cinema when I was a kid, and just going, that looks so far away, and how amazing it would be to do that. Um, yeah, and you must have gone through the same thing. Oh yeah, I mean, you 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 look at it up in there, and you just go, I want, I want that. I don't, mm. I don't know how to do that, but I want that. Yeah. And then, you know how it is, one day you pick up a camera and you go, this is possible. You know, you you do that one shot when you were first starting out and everything is terrible and it sounds terrible and it looks terrible, but one shot looks decent and you're like, whoa, 
what was that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and you try to chase it and then you just keep chasing it and chasing it. Yep. Or at least I did. It's so true. You're chasing that. I've never thought of it that way before. I like that. Yeah. You're still I've chasing heard, that. There was some dumb video I was making uh, for a church I was going to. Mm-hmm. And I, we were doing like a couple characters squinting at each other like bad guys from an old West movie. I mean, this was like 20 years ago. And one of the shots, like the background looked right. The guy looked right. The lighting was right. And I was like, whoa, oh mm-hmm. my goodness. It, it looks real. <laughs> <laughs> That's That could be in a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like a second and then you just go, I want to do more of that. And it, it, yeah. it scratches that itch for me big time. Oh, that's great. So the and first, I love telling stories. You know? Yeah, yeah. 100% love telling stories. That's where, And to be honest, that should be what drives you as a filmmaker is telling stories. But we can get lost sometimes in, in the melee of everything else. But it, we're oh, really just storytellers. Absolutely. And then that's why, you know, I think over time, you know, and serving the places I've served in and uh, working at the places I've worked, I've tried, I've, I've had the most success with true stories, like doing documentaries and, and things like that. And so as I sort of progressed, that's, that's what I chased even more was the, the true story. Excellent. Now, you're, speaking of documentaries, was Uganda Man the first, uh, well, it's, it's you're down as director, cinematographer, editor, producer, production manager, and visual effects? <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, I was a one-man band on that. I mean, there were a lot of people that helped out. I can't take full credit for all that stuff. There were a lot of great people. But we were telling this story of this uh, water crisis in Uganda. I was working with some uh, producers, uh, Attack Poverty and Living Waters. They're the people that go out and dig boreholes, well holes in uh, communities that you know are not thriving by any stretch of the imagination. And so... Uh, when my friend Richard Logan from Attack Poverty came and asked me to go on this trip, I said, you know, I'm really fascinated by the people involved in this story and what it takes. I'd love to make a documentary out of it. And we did. Uh, So I started communicating with the, you know, communication, the hardest place on earth, I think, to communicate with from Texas, which is Uganda. And we were able to set up interviews. I mean, we spent about three months of pre-production on that, working with the ground crew there and trying to work out a schedule so that we could film a documentary in about uh, a week and a half and tell this story of this massive worldwide problem, but really make it human. You know, if you just talk about the water crisis in these communities where they're, you know, you you can't even set up a hospital or school unless you have clean water. It's just, it's pointless. And so how do you tell that in a way that compels people to do anything? And I thought, well, the only way I can think of is to focus on one person, like one story and and make that sort of run concurrently along with it. And we found this really neat guy, uh, Gerald there, who's a pastor in Uganda, who's trying to help his community just stay alive. And, uh, and that's kind of how we went about it. And we saw a tremendous response from that film. You know, we made it for around $5,000 and it wound up earning over $250,000 for uh, all of these uh, organizations to eradicate the water crisis in that that town, affecting thousands of lives. And so it was incredibly humbling and an, and an honor to be a part of that, you know. That's incredible. And, um, massive congratulations for that. That's you know, so worthy and really just great that it raised some money. I, I think that's really well done, mate. Well done. Especially if it was like a one man band mainly. Um, yeah, that's hard. That's hard work. Was that the first thing you'd ever 
shot like that? I mean, you'd obviously made other stuff before that. No, I've worked in church settings uh, and, and like big churches that have multiple campuses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done freelance for the last 15 years. And so it, it was an opportunity to stretch. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've made a movie. Now now they'll let me make more movies. And, and that was so not the case. Uh, I got stigmatized in, in, by it being a documentary to the point where it was incredibly frustrating because – for some reason, no one was giving me any credit for having made a. It was pretty darn hard and a lot of work and uh, collaboration and working together with different organizations and crews and things like that. But I just wasn't getting any, you know, love in return from the uh, the powers that be. And so it kind of set me on a frustrated path there for a little bit. Of okay, well you told me to make movies. I have to make a movie and I did that. And now it's not the right movie. And so, mm. <laughs> you know, it, and, and so after a while, I just sort of jettisoned that idea that uh, someone's going to show up to my house with a bag of money asking me to do something. And so yeah. I thought, well, we're going to have to strap our boots on again and go for it ourselves. You know what? It's it, sadly true. No one's, unless you've got a massive breakout hit, no one's going to knock on your door. You've still got to go out there and push and push and push and keep banging down doors because no one else will do it for you. There's just no one will. They're doing their own journey and their own fight. So, yeah, but it's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? I've heard that oh, yeah. quite a bit. People think, okay, I've done my first one. That's it now. People are going to, you know, and it's very successful, your first one. And yet, it, it, like you say, it's the wrong kind of film, which is, it's kind of sad to hear, isn't it? Um <laughs> You know, because you think you're you're and that's what's a lesson I learned early on was I was like, okay, I'll I'll play by the rules. But really, there's no rules. There's no rule book. There's no you don't turn in an application anywhere or a resume. It's 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 entrepreneurship, you know, and I realized, okay, I've got to become not just an artist, but an engineer, you know, working out logistics. But I've got to become a businessman also in the process. And so it was so many lessons to learn in that process. Even getting up to, you know, the Challenger disaster was how do you even explain it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And between Uganda Man and the Challenger disaster, you did make a couple of shorts. Was that on purpose to sort of show I can make a a drama? It doesn't have to be a documentary. Was that your thinking behind it? You know, it was a lot of, uh, I've got a background too in animation and making music videos and lyrics videos and just kind of whatever I could get my hands on. I, I've sort of, you know, you, you get to the point where you got to make a living and you sort of do it all, you know, and you just take whatever comes in. And uh, that's kind of how it's been going. So I made Uganda Man back in 2011. So that's what, seven years ago, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just just making a go of it since then, and got serious about uh, the Challenger disaster maybe two years ago. And what was the obviously because you've got the engineering background? Was that something that propelled you to make this story? Where did it come from? Well, it sort of unlocked uh, a language. You know, there's a language barrier between engineers and a lot of other people. And you know, I'd, I'd spent so much time, in, like I said, in the church settings that you learn how to communicate with people normally. (laughs) And so uh, I had first learned about the story when I was studying at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And it sort of haunted me. It's one of those stories where 
you know, you hear about it growing up. But as soon as I learned that a group of engineers tried to stop the launch and then what happened to them afterwards and all that, it, again, like moth to a flame, I just kept getting, you know, how you get obsessive about studying a thing or researching a thing or mm-hmm. looking into it. That's kind of how I got for about eight years is just all these government documents, the Rogers Commission, you know, this panel of investigators that President Reagan put together after the crash to see what would happen. It, it's all online for everybody to look at. It's it's an ocean more than trying to find, you know, a puddle of water. It's like being dropped in the ocean and going, where do you even start? You yeah, know, which how do you swim? Go? Yeah, which, where should you go? For those who don't know what the film's about, will you give them a little pitch? Yeah, I'll give you the pitch that... I've given like a thousand people. It's the true story of the night before the Challenger disaster in 1986 when a hot-headed engineer leads a desperate race against the clock to stop the launch and the subsequent cover-up and whistleblowing. Amazing. The film is available now. Is it available in the UK? Uh, it, hopefully it will be soon. We're working with a international distributor, uh, so be on the lookout for it. But it's definitely available in the US right now iTunes and Amazon. You can buy it today and it's in theaters also. Good. All right. So let's set out how you actually managed to raise 170k to make the film. Let's start there. What was your what was your thinking behind getting I mean you got a lot of investors in the end. How did you manage to do that? What was your uh, presentation? People would love to know. So I had been working on a different story about for about five or six years called Smugglers. It's about a group of guys that try to smuggle a million Bibles into communist China in 1981. And I tried to put the funds together for that. It just fell flat on my face because I thought, you know, people just care about the story. But when you're talking to investors, they want to know about ROI. Do you have a bank account? Yeah. Do you, mm-hmm. you know, what's your budget? All that stuff. And I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll get that all worked out. That's not the case. That's such a bad way to do things. And uh, and so I knew going into this story that uh, I had written and wanted to produce, uh, I knew it could be done at a lower budget, uh, lower than the other films that I was working on. And so I got all my ducks in a row. I made sure my business plan was solid. I, I harassed professional uh, people who had done it before me uh, to give me advice and, you know, there are a lot of gracious people who made many, many more films than me that kind of said, here's what you should do. And then so you take all that and sort of squish it into one thing. And so what I did was I created a website uh, for the film during the fundraising segment. And I was going to take a two pronged approach. I was going to pitch vision and I was going to pitch, you know, the financials. And so that's all I did. I, I I sort of didn't know any super rich people. I just knew a bunch of people from my time serving in churches and working freelance and all that stuff. And uh, I just started calling down the list of people I thought it wouldn't wreck their bank account or mess up their rent situation to put $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 into the film. And so I would just talk to them on the phone, give them the pitch and do a direct ask of like, hey, we need you to help with this we need people like you to support the film. Uh, would you invest in it at these levels? And boy, that first $5,000 was like pulling your own teeth out. I was I mean, going to say that like, first, the first money in is hard. After you've got the first one, you can go, we've already got this much. Yeah. But that first yeah, one, exactly. wow. How many calls do you think you did or meetings before you got that first 5k? It was mostly calls. Uh, 
it, actually, I think it was all calls. I knew I need to take a shotgun approach to this and really, you know, uh, not spread myself too thin. And I just tried to make five or six calls a day to people I knew. And it was hundreds. Uh, I, I kept, I'm a list maker. So I've got all these uh, Google Sheets lists of people I would call, mm-hmm. you know, categorize them and label them and, you know, who I should call back and email stuff to. And, uh, you know, uh, my first friend who went in for a thousand dollars kind of set the ball rolling. And once I got to about 50, then people started calling me uh, to invest in the film and we were off to the races. Oh, that's so good. It's that first amount that must have felt so nice. Yeah, just please help me out. Someone put some in. Was there a point where you thought, do you know what? I might, I might not do this. I might give up. It feels too much work. No, th- there was never that point. Good. Because uh, I knew, uh, in fact, one of my investors asked me, hey, at what point would you have not done the film? Like, is it 20,000, 30,000? Like, what's t- what was too low for you? Mm said zero <laughs> yeah you'd have still I, gone and done was, it and tried to make it i was going to make that film if i had to play every part myself on green screen and shoot it with a dslr this film was going to get made yes uh, and uh <laughs> but uh i mean there were so many days where i thought there's no way i'm gonna raise any money for this uh and you know you quit and 15 minutes later you get back on the phone and you just keep at it. You know, one of my favorite books that really was encouraging in the whole process, because I'm not a very smart person or charming person or the, you know, the, the, the tallest person in the room, but there's this book called grit, uh, that I just happened to read around that time. And it, it, it did this study of some air force Academy in uh, the U S and they were trying to determine what really uh, determines success for these, uh, students. And what they found was, if you were smart enough and you worked hard enough, but you had the quality of you didn't give up, you had grit, that was like the, the biggest determination of success. And so they started screening their students by who has the most grit and then their attrition rate uh, plummeted at that point. And so that was really fascinating to learn. And it and for me, it just it was just that, you know, dogged determination of I know it's so simple to say and it's so cliched, but not giving up has been the most painful and agonizing thing on the planet of just wanting to go, God, can I just quit, please? (laughs) (laughs) It would make it so much easier, wouldn't it? But then you wouldn't be doing what you want to do. And it's something I bang on about on this podcast a lot. If you really want to do this and be a filmmaker, you have to make all those calls and you have to go to all those meetings and get all those rejections. And you've, you're a great example of that. And what you managed to raise in the end, 170K you know, US dollars, is huge. It's a huge amount of money. And you got a big star in it as well. Um, and I love the fact that you didn't give up and it was just you making those calls and doing it. And I, uh, yeah, I think that's wonderful. That's exactly how it should be. So well, momentum done. generation is the hardest thing to do in filmmaking. You know, in in the science world, for any of you uh, nerds out there like me, Matt, uh, momentum is mass times velocity, and we're trying to get a group of people moving with speed and direction towards a common goal. And it's so hard to get that first. You know, trying to get the rock up the hill so it can start going down is, uh, mm. you know. 
and here we are again. I'm trying to do it again. <laughs> yeah, making another one straight away. We'll come to that in a bit. So, okay, so you're ringing around now. You started to get a little bit of um, a little bit of traction. You started to raise some funds. At what point did you start saying, okay, I can now plan this in a different way than as if I had no money? Were you, you know, was it say 50K? You went, right, okay, now maybe I can. Or did you already have the budget in mind exactly what you wanted? Well, at 50K, I knew I could hire really good actors. And I knew I could get a DP that we could make something happen with. And two, uh, a part of my little uh, scheme was we were going to start filming like a day or two after Christmas. To which most people would go, that's nuts. Nobody's working. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. These people have just spent all their money during Christmas time and they need jobs. They need work. And no one works in January uh, here in the U.S. Uh, on, on productions. And so I'll catch a ton of people that I don't deserve to have on my film and catch them at a downtime where they wouldn't mind coming down the, you know, San Antonio, Texas for a few days and working on a, a, a nice little film and we'll take care of them and put them up. And, and mm -hmm. so people went for it. Like I was really surprised we got the DP we wanted uh, a kind of a phenomenal dude here in Texas who has just uh, made our film look much better than it deserved uh, James Burgess. And then we started getting actors on board that were really good. I mean, they weren't, you know, household names, but man, oh man, it was really exciting to see uh, the talent that we have here in Texas. And that's um, Glenn Morshower, uh, Les Miles, Eric Hansen, uh, Brandy Price, uh, Erica Waldorf, those type of people that live near you. Was, was it a case of you just reaching out? Was that all it was? It was like, look, this is what we're doing and do you want to get involved? How did you approach them? Yeah, so whenever I try to get someone on my team, I try to make the bar as high as possible, meaning like you're not going to get paid a lot. It's going to be a lot of long hours. Like just say no now. <laughs> yeah, say no now. Don't string me along. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And so we actually utilized a uh, online service called Backstage, where you can post sides for the different parts, and you could even reach out to certain actors. And we got we auditioned, you know, a couple hundred people uh, to be in the film. And we knew, okay, we can't afford the biggest actors, but we can afford the best actors. We will find the best people that fit uh, into it. And so I'm, I'm I'm really proud of our cast in the film. They they showed up. They worked their tails off. And what more could you ask, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's what you want from them. And then, you know, to top it all off, you managed to cast Dean Kane, uh, Superman himself, TV Superman. Yeah. How did that come about? How did you manage to bring him in? So we shot most of the film. Uh, we shot for about two weeks, took a break, and we knew that we uh, were going to try and edit the film together and show it to some people to fill in some roles. Uh that we knew would help us quite a bit in the distribution process. So again, trying to scheme a little bit on how do we juke the system, you yes. know? And, and so we sort of reserved some shooting days for uh, a little bit of time for us to cut a trailer together. And uh, I had, you know, been going to film festivals and talking to people and trying to make friends with other people who knew more than me that had done more than me. And one of my great friends, Jared Coates, who worked on a ton of films, I sent him the trailer and said, Hey, you know, anybody that can help us out with, you know, 
a really well-known person that could be in the film that would dig what we're doing. And he goes, I know the guy. And uh, Dean is a history lover, Dean Kane. Uh, and so he sent the trailer over to him and Dean said, yeah, I'm there. And so he showed up and came on set. And, you know, so it was the power of the story that drew him. And that's kind of what I, I, that's the only thing I have to rely on because Nathan Von Minden is not a known quantity, uh, but the story was, and it's something that compelled people. And, uh, it, you know, for me, I'm only capable of working on something that I really, really believe in and really trust, you know, work this hard and this long on a project. Uh, that's what it took for me. And I, I guess that's what it took for Dean. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. That's really nice. Did you meet up with him or did you chat on the phone? Yeah, I, we didn't have any rehearsal time with anybody, but every single actor, I would call them a week or two before they showed up and we would do a Skype uh, rehearsal where we would go through the script once or twice, all their lines, talk about everything that they're going to do on set, uh, figure out, you know, I, I was the writer on the thing, but I hold the writing very loosely. Mm. You know, I want to serve the story. And so if an actor is like, eh, this is coming across a little weird, or I don't understand this, or what's the motivation, we would work it out through the Skype sessions. And we made a lot of progress that way. And uh, trying to create an environment too, where they can thrive and, and be spontaneous and be collaborative. Uh, you know, one of the ways I think we were able to do that was I would give everybody the talk before they showed up, which was, hey, we don't have a lot of time and money, so you better show up prepared. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's about as tough as tough guy as I could get with people. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty tough. That's a good way to start. Look, be prepared. Don't turn up and not know your lines or not have a character in mind. I think that's totally fair. And um, yeah, I like what that. I told him. I go, I'm expecting you to make a choice. Don't wait for me to make a choice for you. So, like, if you show up and you don't have this worked out, I'm going to be pretty ticked off. Yeah, absolutely. And they all came prepared? I think so. Well, they didn't I mean, want to see you ticked off, I take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it never, ever even came close to that point because I think everyone was so excited uh, by the project that they they did the work. I mean, everyone showed up. And it allowed us that freedom to sort of make it better, you know, yeah. and – I can't thank them enough for that. Eric Hansen, Cameron Arnett, all those guys and girls that did the work, man. That's that's what it takes. Shakes showing up and being prepared. That's the easy and hard part of it all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So just to jump back on those uh, investors, because it is really interesting how you did. Did you get all your investors by ringing round and asking them to, you know, invest in your film? Basically, I mean, it was wow. like. We got to the point where we got people on the team too, and they started reaching out to their friends and uh -huh. colleagues they knew might be interested. And so we got a few that way. I mean, it, and it's just, it's scratching in the dirt. You just got to go out there and dig. You and must be one of the best cold callers <laughs> out there to raise 170K from phone calls. <laughs> it honestly is hugely commendable. That's amazing. It's extreme. Yeah. I, it's rare. It's rare. Though. Back on now, it's, it's hard because that kind of stuff drains me to no end. Like it does not fire me up to think about, oh, goody, I get to call people and ask for money today. No, of course you know? not. It's, you know what it's like <laughs> when you get a cold call, you're like, oh, God, they're calling from some, you're like, oh, it's horrible. Yeah. So, yeah, I imagine you got quite a lot of no's and phones put down and awkwardness. But how many calls do you reckon you made? 
during that time? I definitely made 200 plus. Uh, is that all? Your your rate is incredible. <laughs> that's that's pretty. I thought you were going to say about 2,000 more. The fact that you only did, you know, maybe 200 to 300 and you got that many. But that's, it's impressive. It's impressive. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, it came from many, many uh, mistakes, you know, and again, it, for me, it went back to vision cast for the, you know, creative and what this story could mean for the people that watch it and around our nation and around the world, really. Uh, I think people dug being a part of that, the mission side of it. And then also the, uh, you know, the ROI that we were trying to, you know, I, I, Luckily, I had made friends with my uh, producing partner, KB Battaglini, who's an attorney, mm. and he was able to help me sidestep a lot of landmines uh, in that process, too, of like not overpromising people, because that's the thing is they even got the high bar talk, too, of like, hey, here's what it means to be an investor. One, you might lose your money. I'm going to work my tail off. Uh, I can't promise you you'll make it back, but I can promise you I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can to make it back. And two... You have no creative control in this process whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You set the bar. You told them what was what, but you also said this is an opportunity on the return of investment here where you could make quite a bit of money. You, this could be really cool, but apart from that, you get to be in this project which tells the story of you know, the, the, the Challenger disaster and the explosion. Mm, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Was, was there any tips you can give anyone to doing those calls? I know you've sort of said a little bit there, but is there any more? Because you, you even said yourself, you didn't feel, you know, you were the tallest person in the room, if you like. Um, but yet you still managed to hold people on the phone and get them to part with their hard-earned cash. Was there any well, it's, tips? It's years and years of relationship building, you know. Mm. Uh, and I had to be okay with people saying no and not personally hold it against them uh i mean there are plenty of people that said no that showed up to the premiere a few weeks ago really and uh yeah and it's just like you i had to uh not hold it against them and and really really feel that way in my heart about them and 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 go you know it's not right for them and that's okay with me and i've got to be okay with it i will i will get connected to the right people and uh and, and so yeah years and years of relationship building and trying not to burn bridges as I go. And there's been plenty of times where I've wanted to tell people off and I've always known that my mouth gets me in trouble more than anything else. And so, uh, biting my tongue in times where I wish I, it would have felt really great in the moment to tell someone off, uh, and not doing that, uh, is for me is, is difficult, but it's a practice that, uh, has saved me a lot of relationships over the years. Amazing. Uh, I I love that. I think that's right. I think relationship building is really strong. And you know what? That person who came to the premiere might have seen it and gone, "Cool." Well, I happily put into the next one. Then you know th- that <laughs> it all it does help, doesn't it? They might not have been able to put in at that time for various reasons in their own um, lives. So yeah, you can never hold it against them. People can't put in money for various reasons. Um, but oh, I, yeah. it's still really impressive. Very impressive. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I'm kind of flabbergasted a little bit that you've done that. I've never heard anyone do that ever. <laughs> I've heard people raise some money by doing a few cold calls and then going in to meet, meet these investors and spend a lot of time with them. But it sounds like you 
did it all on the phone and didn't need the extra cash because normally someone else would come in and do, okay, well, we'll put half in. You've got, you know, 120, we'll do, or whatever, you've got 100, we'll do the other 100. Uh, but you did it all yourself on the phone. That's very yeah. commendable, my friend. Very good. Okay, so how was the shooting of it itself then for you as a director of, I mean, I know you've made shorts, but this is a feature and you're dealing with name talent. How was that for you as a director? How did you plan that, your shots and uh, the overall arcs of it? Directing to me is a reward for the hard work. (laughs) (laughs) You know, doing all the producing and uh, along with my partners, uh, Glenn Gordon and Erica Waldorf and Jose Canones, who helped actually bring this thing into reality. Uh, You know, my hat's off to them because... It, it takes a team, a strong team. And that's, that's really where I like to take a lot of credit is I'm the guy that built the team, uh, who made it happen. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where I think it counts the most, uh, when it came, when it comes to directing, you know, it's like tone management and, you know, helping people work through it and manage some personalities in the process and, uh, problem solve as you go along and, and communicate. Well, one of the things that, we wanted to do was eliminate a lot of barriers to the creative process, like uh, communication. We, we, we used uh what was it called? Uh, it's a program that sort of schedules everything. Uh, binder studio binder. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use that to, to schedule everything. We, we made everybody jump on board with that. Like get the app, get the emails, get the text messages, make sure you're on this and, you know, herding the cats over to this thing so that mm-hmm. people would show up knowing where they need to show up, when they need to show up, uh, you know, list and just trying to run a machine um, as smoothly as we could. And, and that's what our producer, Erica Waldorf did was and it, it, it relieved a lot of tension for our cast that, you know, they had to work fast and they had to work hard, but all this other stuff wasn't a headache for them. And, uh, and so it was a little intimidating uh, on the first day to have all these cars and people we may have started a little too big on the first day yeah and uh <laughs> we sometimes we pe- made it, people do say don't do really hard shots on your first day but yet we still make the same mistake every time and we end up going oh well that's just the way the schedule worked out but actually yeah, yeah it's really vital to get to know your team and your crew and how the camera works in that environment is to shoot some easier scenes uh, yeah. the first day but you didn't right you jumped straight in i take it like i did i thought i thought we were doing something easy but <laughs> oh there's that too yeah you think it's easy yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean it was uh in two we shot it in january in texas and, and texans aren't used to the cold so anything below 50 degrees you know people sort of lose their minds and and, and so that made it a little bit more challenging for us although you know people in cold weather be like whatever that's nothing that's shorts and t-shirt weather Mm. but uh (laughs) for us texans you know it was a it was a little bit and so in in england it's kind of (laughs) normal rainy wet cold we're used to it (laughs) but for you guys you might be a little bit like yeah this is this is baltic um but yeah so you had your first day in the cold you had a, a scene that you thought was going to be easy and it's not right. Great. Yeah. And so, you know, the hurdles come up and, uh, I, one of the things I found surprising was there's a lot of dialogue in the film and 
shooting dialogue, he- heavy, thick dialogue, engineering, you know, people are jockeying for position uh, in small rooms, uh, you know, because there's, there's a lot of uh, – w- was so much more difficult than shooting even the biggest day we had, which was, you know, a bunch of extras in a, a big court setting in this massive building downtown in San Antonio was like the easiest day because we had all this space we could move around in, you know, but once it gets cramped in those hallways and, you know, uh, having eight people trying to talk over top of each other in a scene, uh, that was like really, it wore the crew out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Did you do eight different, Shots, did, had you planned how you were going to shoot it? Was it one big Y? Were you one big master as like a wanna? Were you doing singles? Uh, we tried to shoot with two cameras. My DP did oh. not like that very much, uh, but I came from a live production background. Mm-hmm. And so two or three cameras, I was like, yeah, we, we got to make up some time here. And uh, so we typically shot with two cameras and 4K on a red. And so we had to set up a system for dumping footage because those things can only hold about, you know, 10, 15 minutes at a time. And then you have to have runners going back and forth. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, just overcoming issues like that was uh, pretty daily grind. But again, a part of the, that, that was the joyful, easy part of the process to me was the actual boots on the ground, making the film, running the camera. And, you know, I've got a lot of experience with a glide cam or a steady cam system. And so, I would strap that thing on myself and, and shoot and uh, yeah, working with James Burgess was phenomenal. Just he, you know, as a, as a director and working in low production stuff over time, you think, Oh, there's nothing I can't do until you see a real master do it. And you go, I cannot light like that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's done some big films, hasn't he? I mean, he's done some, I mean, loads just keeps going yeah. his list is just endless um which must have been brilliant to get someone like that on your shoulder if you like someone who's... well I, I had the opportunity to hire somebody a little younger and less experienced and i knew okay i could control this person mm. i could make them do exactly what i want when i wanted but then i thought you know james has got so much experience he is going to save us from ourselves uh and that's exactly what he did I was like, okay, we're going to shoot everything at night that needs to be shot at night, and we're going to we're going to turn into a nocturnal crew. Here we go. And he's like, why don't we just put trash bags over the windows? And it's like, <laughs> okay, that's pretty smart too. So Let's try that. It's true. And sometimes having those experienced people around you, it like you say, there you go. You just saved you time, saved you money, and it probably looked better as well. You know, it's it is important to let other people do their job sometimes. It's hard to relinquish that when we've got something in our heads so long as directors or writers. And it really is hard to let someone else have that. But you need to. Filming's collaboration. Um, yeah. No, good. That sounds excellent. Um, so for you as a director, it wasn't a problem. You just sort of got on with it. And it sounds like you use the camera a lot as well. How do you find when you're using the camera, is it still easy to direct for you to see a performance and shape it? Oh, yeah. Like the day we were shooting the three-way conference call between Florida and Alabama and Utah in the film, Mm. uh, that was a day where we ran three cameras. We also ran three cameras in the uh, Rogers Commission, which happens after the uh, shuttle explosion. And I I love running a camera. uh, And and so it it was a – 
it was easy for me to sort of jump behind the camera, uh, give some direction. And again, everybody was so prepared. They just would go for it. And so, uh, shooting with multiple cameras saved us a ton of time and allowed that space for us to work together, uh, between shots. And, and, and there wasn't, again, everybody brought their a game. It was the easiest thing to direct, uh, when it came to the performances, it, there, there was very little me going in and I don't think I ever gave anybody a line reading. It's just, you know, I hired them to do a job and I expected them to do it and they delivered, you know, that's great. That's nice. It's nice when that happens. So how, how long into the shoot did you think, okay, we've got something here. We've got something that could sell and, and do well. Well, you're never as good as your dailies and you're never as bad as your first cut. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the dailies, everybody was kind of geeking out, and uh, which made me nervous because it, it, it looked good, you know. And uh, I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, you know, just like we were talking about back in the beginning where you see that thing and you're like, okay, we're chasing it now. And, you know, most shots are coming out great and the performances are coming out great. And, uh, you know, you just try to keep the momentum going and not screw it up. Yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. Well, did you find that um... – scheduling wise wasn't a problem and you didn't go over it was it was kind of run well enough for you yeah i think the biggest mistake we made with scheduling was you know uh we said you know what, we're just going to shoot all the way through with no days off oh, and that was a ooh. that was a mistake uh I, I would not do that again uh even the most bootstrap get it done types like six or seven days on a set, 12 hour days. We never went over 12 hours, but that stuff wears you out. Yeah. I mean, I try to stay in decent. I'm the, I'm the most in shape fat guy you've ever met. <laughs> and so, but even like after about eight or 10 hours, I was dogging it, you know, and me and my DP, we were the ones on our feet the whole time. Cause when the, when the cast is working, the crew is down When the crew is working, the cast is down and James and I were hustling around and, you know, making stuff, uh, happen in between and on set and all that. And so it, it was, it was really painful. And then the crew that we have had, uh, they were, they were extremely gracious to that mistake. Uh, and luckily we had an ice storm in the middle of shooting. We had to shut down production for a day. Oh. And that's where I realized, Oh man, you, I, I may have pushed everybody a little too hard and I'm grateful for this, uh, sort of emergency really. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think, You've got to let your crew rest um, because they're not as invested as you. And like you say, you and James running around all the time is, you know, that's what you were doing. But you and your crew get knackered. Even if the cast are sat down in their downtime, they're still very tired. It still gets tiring because you've got to keep in character or keep thinking. Yeah, I'll always have days off because you just need to recharge your battery. Sleep, for one thing, Um, it's vital when you're trying to make a film vital oh, yeah. what would you do differently uh now uh with the next film uh you know i don't i don't mind working six days in a row i think that's possible but i definitely have uh one or two days off in between every six days mm-hmm. uh depending on you know maybe uh something like a day off on the first one because you're still running on excitement and then two days off from the second uh set and then probably two days off from there until the final where you gotta like maybe cut a day uh, off something like that you know we 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 were non-union in the in the project too so everybody again knew what they were signing up for yeah so i 
I want to help manage people's expectations when they work with us. And so I'm, I try to my best to make it clear up front what people were getting into so that they didn't have their expectations uh, dashed. And then that creates strife and problems. And, you know, then you've got to apologize. And, you know, I got pretty good at apologizing. Mm, absolutely. And I think we should, I think it's a, the, one of the best leadership qualities we can is, apologize if it's our fault apologize and yeah hold your hands up a lot of people don't do that as leaders oh it's very important to do that it's, it's all right people, yeah, that, people you, love it i would hire again is the person who goes you know what my mistake i'm gonna go fix it yeah. and they own it own versus it. the person who makes excuses you know you don't lose any respect for them it doesn't you don't suddenly go oh god he apologized i lose all respect in fact it's the opposite you you yeah. like them as a leader more because they did do that and they appreciated what you've done and they also appreciate you standing up to them it's uh it's vital if you're the director and you're leading the ship that you can hold your hands up vital so yeah good for you good for you let's talk about um the distribution side then because you know being your first uh non-documentary film you managed to secure domestic distribution through vertical entertainment um which is huge i mean it's it's massive. You also got international distribution as well through high octane pictures. How did this happen? How did you, a guy who's cold calling round people asking for money, get a cinema release uh, and uh, a domestic distribution? Man, I mean, once the film stops, that's when the hard work starts. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we cut together a pretty good movie. Uh, not the best movie in the world, but I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah, and it you know, I showed it to a few producer friends of mine, you know, as we kind of screen it for friends and family and colleagues and get feedback. And we were going to, you know, distribute it ourselves through distributor and, you know, raise a little extra cash and, and do it that way. And, you know, not a ton of money to make back. So we'll we'll do our best. And I just kept getting the advice of like, man, you really need to show this to some distributors. This might be able to take on a life. And so I did, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, what I did with, uh, <laughs> the investors, I'll do that with distributors. And so I found lists and phone calls and names. And I just started cold calling and cold emailing distributors. I'd sent them the trailer and said, hey, if you're interested, I'll send you, send you the screener. And it was just a Vimeo thing with uh, a password. And, you know, got about, it started immediately getting people going, yeah, we'll distribute your film. And, and it was very tempting to just pull the trigger and go, okay, I'm done with this. And there was that thing in the back of my head that said, no, you really got to verify and check. And so I went on IMDb Pro and started calling uh, producers that work with these supposed distributors. And it turns out they weren't distributors. They were sales managers. <laughs> and so what had been happening is these salespeople would take a film and take 25%, give it to a distributor who takes another 20% who then puts it on a platform who takes 30%. And so now as a filmmaker, you're left with practically nothing. And you're the one that did all the work on it. And so I was just hearing horror story after horror story of working with this company and that company. And, and I was like, okay, I need to break out of this. I cannot work with a salesperson like this. I need to find an actual distributor. And so we, when it really boiled down to it, we had three solid offers from real distributors and uh, we decided to go with verbal. We felt like, uh, you know, all through the post-production oh, sorry, process. Sorry, say that again. It just broke up for me. Decided to go with? Decided to go with vertical uh, because uh, 
you know, throughout the entire post-production process, I kept my eyes on iTunes. And whenever a movie came, it comes out, big or small, I was trying to see who's the distributor, who's, who are they working with, who's popping up there. And so it came down between them and a few other companies, and I just felt like I'm seeing a lot of vertical in the places where I want to go. And so we ultimately pulled the trigger and decided to go with them, and then they hooked us up with our international people. And, uh, you know, that's history. And then, you know, then it's haggling over details. And really, uh, luckily, again, I had one of my producers as an attorney, and so he was able to help navigate the redlining process because I, I tell you, nobody should deal with those kinds of contracts on their own. They're mm-hmm. very intimidating. Uh, things don't mean what you think they mean. And you really got to do the work in that contract phase because uh, you can really get taken to the cleaners if you don't. What was something that you, what was the big thing you can recommend to people to look out for? Just make sure expenses are capped. Yep. You know, uh, not vertical, but other companies I just heard, you know, they run up $50,000 worth of expenses and you have to pay that back first before you see a dime. Yeah. And at that and point, then they stop working for the film because they've got the 50K expenses yeah. back. Yes. We've heard those stories. Yes. I mean, it's, it's sad. I just, that stuff should be criminal. I, it I really don't know. should be. I don't know how it's legal. It, it's really unfair on the filmmaker. And it's something all indie filmmakers should watch out for. Those uh, on that contract uh, capped expenses. Yeah, keep it as low as you can. Invest in IMDb Pro and call people that have worked with companies before. I mean, people are happy to. And one of the things I got from Vertical too was I called a producer who had worked with them, and and they said, you know, they did as good. My film didn't make any money, but they did as good as I could possibly expect from them. They pushed the film, they talked about it, but my film just didn't cut it. And I was like, wow, that is. That's an interesting thing to hear, you know, from somebody who had worked with them. Uh, I mean, I talked to more people who said, great job. They, they did all that they needed to do and the movie was profitable and all that. Uh, but hearing somebody who was honest about their experience and their shortcomings in the process kind of it, it meant something to me. And so I think that due diligence is necessary on the business side of things for sure. Absolutely. I love then not only did you cold call to raise money for your film, but you then cold called all the distributors and sales agents to get some offers and then called people who'd worked with them to make sure they weren't sharks and thieves. Again, it's, it's highly inspiring for filmmakers out there who are going, how do I make my film? Well, here you go. Nathan's just proved it to you how you can do it and get a film in cinemas. Honestly, well yeah. done. And by the way, you've done all this with six kids you've got oh, yeah. six kids right yeah we I love it i've been married for about uh 16 years now we've got six kids and you know it's a it's five girls by the way and a couple twins in there oh my god uh, <laughs> and so you know it it's been fun because we don't hide anything from our kids like we talk about the money problems we talk about the budgets they listen on phone calls uh i love editing with an audience and so my wife, who's a producer on the film, would come and, you know, there are chairs set up around the editing machine in the office where someone can come in and just plop down and watch the edit. And I rely on them for feedback. And, you know, uh, one of the tough things about the film, too, is it's very 
thick. Like we did not stray away from the engineering talk. Uh, you ever seen that movie Moneyball? I loved it. It's a great movie. Yeah, starring Brad Pitt. One of my favorite mm. movies of all time. I I care about zero about baseball, uh, and I don't know anything about baseball. And so I was like, how do I like this movie so much? But I don't really care for baseball all that much. And I felt like they really tapped into what is behind each line. And so whenever we have these engineers talking to each other, it's like everything is motivated emotionally by decisions that they're trying to make, motivations that they're trying to, you know, jockey for power, uh, dismiss somebody, you know, uh, things like that was behind every single line in the film. And so uh, what helped in the editing process was having somebody there going, do you understand what's happening right now? Uh, you may, and they go, well, I don't understand what they're saying, but I know that guy's trying to one up that guy. It's like, okay, that's what we're going for. And so that kind of thing was really helpful in the process too. Yeah. This is, it's really inspiring for our listeners and it's so well done. So what's next? What's the plan then? What are you going to do now? call more people <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know we're we are trying to raise funds for uh uh the film uh i just recently uh raised a little bit of money to write uh, a stop motion christmas animated film called steal the naughty list which was a huge refresher from a bunch of engineers yelling at each other hmm. but uh we're trying to get that film off the ground we're trying to raise funds for the the smugglers movie yep and, you know, uh, you can find all that stuff uh, on our websites. Uh, you know, we are actively looking for funds for those things uh, and investors. But that's kind of what we're doing next. Uh, we're really excited about Smugglers, you know, the group of guys that try to sneak a million Bibles into communist China in 1981. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see what hits next. You know, we're it's an honor to be able to even make one movie and I know we got to earn the the right and responsibility to, to make another one. And so I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we get somewhere with investors and uh, new people who want to jump on board with us. And, and so, you know, I'm just kind of hopeful for the future and, you know, excited for the opportunity to do more if, if it comes along. Oh, that's so good to hear. And um, where can, where is your website? Where can people check you out? You can find uh, those projects at uh, thesmugglersmovie.com or stealthenaughtylist.com is what it's called. And then, you know, my website is nathanvonminden.com. And, of course, Challenger Disaster uh, in the U.S. right now, iTunes and Amazon, and hopefully around the world very soon. Brilliant. Yeah, that film is available now uh, in the US and it hopefully will be in the UK very soon. I will put links up to that and to Nathan's website all in the show notes. Uh, Nathan, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, you are definitely an inspiration. You're an indie filmmaker. It's what this podcast is all about. Um, so congratulations. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, absolute pleasure to have you on. Appreciate you being honest about everything as well. Really helps. Um, good. Honestly, great. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm literally blown away by how cool this is and how good you've you've made it. Um, you've made your film as well. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great film, um, especially for a, a first time feature filmmaker like this that isn't a documentary. Well done. 
Thank you. Um, so you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. You can follow me at Giles Alderson. If you want to be on this podcast, do get in touch. If you've made a feature film, if you've got a story to tell and you want it to all our podcast listeners, then do get in touch. I can find all the information in the show notes. Uh, until next time, keep well, keep striving, keep working hard to make your indie feature film. And remember, and remember, if you do well and rise up, it's your duty to send that elevator back down. Nathan, thank you very much. Yes, sir. <laughs> Until next time, take care, everyone. We will see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.